Welcome to Shed Life. All right, Dr. Sean Baker, thank you so much for uh, coming to the shed. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm having a good Monday here in, uh, in Southern California. I've already had a nice start to my day, so good to, good to be joining you. Perfect, perfect. So I'm going to go straight into it, to be honest. Um, I think um, one thing which I personally am fascinated about um, is your background story. Um, and that is kind of what was your path into discovering the sort of carnivore diet per se? I think that was maybe where the sort of the, the region where we want to get up to. But what was the kind of background story which got you onto that sort of path? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd been a lifelong athlete, a physician, you know, someone who's, you know, concerned about performance and health my whole life. Uh, I got to my mid forties, noted that my health was starting to take a turn for the worst. Uh, I was probably becoming uh, metabolic syndrome, pre-diabetic, uh, despite training extremely hard. I mean, I was still successful as an athlete, but despite those things, I was seeing those things occur. So I just started, you know, playing with nutrition and I went through a whole evolution of about six, seven years to trying different different uh, nutritional strategies came across some people doing uh, you know i was already on a ketogenic low carb ketogenic diet at that time came across a group of people that were doing this quote-unquote zero carb diet which is basically a meat-based diet i thought that was pretty interesting and i started to read more about it and sort of studied them for about a year and kind of took the plunge and did a couple you know just, just did it for a short period of time a couple of days and then a week and then two weeks and then Finally committed to a 30-day run, and, and I felt really good after 30 days and uh, went back to, uh, uh, you know, after 30 days over, I said, well, that was a fun experiment. I went back to my regular diet, and it just didn't feel as good. So I went back on the kind of fully meat-based diet, and I've been there now for just coming up on four years. And, uh, you know, I just continue to, you know, function and feel well as a, someone who's about to turn 54 years of age. And so that's been, you know, that's the short history of it. You know, it's it, I've kind of had a lot of people that have joined me now and, and gotten quite a bit of exposure about it. But uh, that's, you know, that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's always been about uh, health, you know, and, and, and I think that's what we should be focusing on when it comes to nutrition rather than, you know, any other sort of thing. It's, and I think it's health today. It's how you feel today and how you perform today and not what you might die of in 40 or 50 years or what you sort of believe about things is what's actually going on. And that's, that's kind of my reason for doing what I do. Oh, fair play. I've just touched on something you said about um, being an athlete uh, sort of uh, during your younger years. Can you elaborate more into sort of what, athlete, what athletics you're into or which sports, et cetera? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up, I started, you know, sort of training with weights when I was about 13 years of age. So I've been doing that for 40, 40, 41 years. Uh, got it, you know, basketball, you know, after college, I started medical school, but then I got hooked into rugby. Uh, actually, was ended up being fairly decent. At it. I got recruited to go play at a high level in New Zealand. I uh, got to play against some of the New Zealand All Blacks. Uh, you know, in their in their sort of top league down in in New Zealand. Uh, went from rugby, and then I started doing uh, strongman competitions. And I was uh, among the very first strongman competitors. You know, when they had national competitions in the U.S., I think I took fifth at the national championships. I realized it, and I and I was never someone that wanted to take drugs, and so I, you know I did this all as a natural athlete. I uh, got into powerlifting uh, at some point along the way. I set about several national records. Ended up deadlifting 350 kilograms or 772 pounds. Whoa. Again, as a drug-free athlete, uh, got into some uh, 
a little bit of the Highland Games, which you know some of the people in the UK may be familiar with, mm-hmm. particularly in Scotland. Ended up winning a world championship as a, a Masters athlete, you know, throwing the caber and you know the weights, and uh, did some uh, com- a little bit of a, a small amount of competitive track and field. Ended up being a Masters All American in uh, the discus and uh, the weight and super weight throw. Uh, and then I transitioned into when I was, oh, I think mid 40s. I said, I'm okay. I'm not wanting to do as much of the strength-related sports anymore, and so I slimmed down a little bit. Got into competitive rowing. You know, with the Concept Two machine, ended up breaking uh, three American records and three world records on that. You know, and so that, that's been my athletic background. So I've been, you know, fairly fairly accomplished in different sports. <laughs> Definitely accomplished. That's um, that's fascinating sort of background you got there in just a sort of athletic sort of field and sports. Um, what I don't understand is how have you had time to become a sort of a doctor in all this as well? Like, um, it's quite crazy. Well, I mean, I work hard. You know, I've got a pretty strong work ethic. I, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, moving, maximizing time. I think, you know, I think, you know, you don't have to spend all day training if you're, if you're smart and efficient about it. And I think, you know, when you're physically prepared, you know, it makes the rest of life work well. So I think being an ath- being athletic or training uh, translates into, you know, more efficiency and, and better productivity in other parts of your life. So I think they go hand in hand, quite honestly. No, fair play. Uh, but actually becoming a doctor, was that um, before you were playing um, sort of like rugby and all this stuff? Or was it, uh, so what, did, were you a doctor from quite a young age, like um, went through university and med school or that? Or did that come, I don't know, sort of after this... Um, Sports, uh, yeah, kind of. It's kind of an interesting mix. I, I went, you know, the traditional route where, you know, I went into college, got my degree in uh, biology and then went into medical school. I actually quit medical school to play rugby. I dropped out after my first year of medical school, okay. went and played rugby, spent about seven years doing that. I, at one point, I joined the military in the U.S. I became a nuclear weapons launch officer while I was playing rugby for the U.S. Armed Forces team. Uh, and then they put me back to medical school. So then I went back and finished my medical degree, did my surgical training, you know, took, takes another five years, became an orthopedic surgeon. And so, uh, so I kind of had, I kind of had a little bit of a circular route in, in that I jumped out to go to do the sports. And, uh, you know, I, I, that was something I could only do at a certain point in my life. And I, I, I knew I could be a doctor at any age, really. And so that's kind of what I chose to do. That is intriguing. I know you touched upon it, but I'm going to ask you about it. Can you go back to the uh, military experience that you mentioned? Like, what was that? You said nuclear launch um, specialist or commander or something? Yeah, I was a nuclear uh, launch officer. So basically uh, what I would do is uh, several times a month, I would spend 24 hours uh, a day uh, at a launch control center. I had uh, 10 nuclear bombs that I was in. I was, uh, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles that I was in basically in control of well um you know so i did that for about five years so it was kind of really you know top secret classified you know kind of stuff that was uh you know fun stuff that's crazy you gotta be uh quite i'm pretty sure your head's gotta be screwed on quite well to be um sort of in charge of stuff like that yeah they definitely there's a rigorous it's kind of there's a rigorous (laughs) screening (laughs) process for that stuff so you know because a lot of people think i'm this crazy guy that uh you know, has this crazy diet, but I, you know, really, I'm very, I was very conservative, very well grounded. Uh, you know, I've, I've been, you know, like I said, I've had these very high level jobs in the past and, and it's just because I have this 
sort of nutritional belief that is different than the mainstream that people think I'm kind of this crazy person, but I've been very much a very conservative, uh, you know, skeptical person myself. Mm. Well, I mean, that's a good sort of point you mentioned, because like you said, you've only been doing this diet for what was it, four years or something? So not, not to yeah. show your age, but that's quite a short amount of time compared to, um, you know, all the other stuff you've done in your life. So, um, how has that sort of changed from, from day one when you started four years ago to now? Has there been a lot of adaptation, a lot of changes, a lot of um, experimentation where you kind of found the right balance or is it still pretty much a um, similar concept when you started? I haven't changed very much. I mean, I've played with a few things over time to see what kind of effects I've, you know, I, so we have this, uh, you know, this uh, platform, this company, we started called meterx.com, which is you know, thousands of members and we sort of do these sort of a little bit of tinkering to see what works best for certain people. And so I've, I've, I've done some experiments uh, around the diet in hopes of helping more people, you know, trying to find out more information to see if certain things, you know, work better for certain people. But other than that, it's been pretty much pretty standard. I mean, I just eat kind of to satiety. I basically eat a meat-based diet. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I enjoy it. I haven't, I can't say I've made a, a great deal of variation over the years. I mean, it's, it's been pretty, pretty much the same as when I started with, you know, very little difference. Mm -hmm. But just to get into a bit more for, I don't know, for people who just say see carnivore and they're thinking, or right, how would this actually work in practice? Is it literally as simple as every meal you have? It's just um, a plate of meat. And does that vary which types of meat or how much meat there is? Um, or does it depend on how much you train or, you know, I don't know who you are as a, uh, demographic or biological makeup like how does that is it not that even is it not even that scientific scientist scientific even well i i think you know you could attach some science to it for sure um i you know it is going to depend on your activity level how much you're going to eat it's going to depend on you know what you like to eat what you do well with i mean there's no real um sort of absolute you have to do it this way i know there's people that seem to think that they can tell you the optimal way to do it but that's not been my experience and i probably frankly have more experience with this and have talked to more people than anyone else out there with regard to this and uh i mean many people tend to gravitate towards kind of the the, the ruminant animals or the red meats the beefs uh, the lamb the you know the, the wild game you know there's certainly there's people that eat pork and chicken and uh you know seafood and, and shellfish i mean that's certainly part of it uh, dairy is one of those that some people tolerate better than others. Um, you know, eggs are certainly a part of it for most people. So, I mean, it's animal products in general and, you know, the, the sort of the emphasis is not on plants. I mean, we tend to, a lot of people completely eliminate them. Some people keep them in as, you know, seasonings or spices, but don't really depend upon them as nutritional. Uh, you don't really rely on them as, as a significant source of nutrition, which I think, I mean, I think in the bottom line, that's, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. I think they can be seasoning, flavor enhancements, maybe for variety, but I don't find them to be all that greatly beneficial, quite honestly. Mm, fair enough. Um, that's quite interesting, actually. You know, um, so obviously being a doctor yourself, um, do you measure the sort of biological impact on yourself or I don't know, people close to you do the same sort of methodology? I don't know, like your, um, yeah, I don't know, your blood work and things like this. Um, or even even stuff like mental moods kind of or you know have you measured during the day how you feel you know whether it's sort of lethargy and this and that 
Um, or is it, again, like I said, is it, do you not attach too much science to it? Is it kind of like a, something drilled into you already by now for, after four years of doing it? Well, I mean, I, I think there's, there's, you know, different things that are important to measure for people. And I think quality of life is, you know, I think that's something that uh, people have to really realize that that's important. You know, we can look at different risk factors and blood markers and so on and so forth, but really quality of life ultimately trumps all that because if we, if we worry about what we're going to die of in 50 years and we spend, you know, 50 years with low quality of life in, in effort to do that, then, then what have you actually accomplished? You know, um, I mean, there are, there are health measures that you can measure that I think, you know, make an impact like things like the, you know, you can use, look at things like the coronary artery calcium scan, which shows you what's going on with your heart from a disease standpoint. I had mine measured. It was a complete perfect zero, you know, despite eating, well, I won't say despite possibly, possibly because of eating a, you know, a low carb, no processed food diet that, that is meat heavy. You know, I think meat is a, I think meat is a health food. I think humans, well, I know humans have been eating it for as long as we've been humans. And so, um, you know, these different markers that people want to sort of ruminate on, you know, and uh, obsess over, we don't really even know the, the long-term impact of these things. I think we were just honest about this stuff. Uh, what we do know is if my knee hurts or if my back hurts or if my digestion is bad, or if my mood is bad, or if I can't concentrate, you know, or if I, you know, have all these other health things going on, then something's not working well. And I think if we focus on those things, we're going to have far better, healthier, happier people. I think it's as simple as that. That's a good point. Um, all right, I want to word this correctly, but you mentioned um, the non-processed food. Um, you sort of cut out, obviously, you don't have any of that sort of junk, if you like. Um, is that, would you say, the most detrimental thing to one's health, as opposed to forget whether you're on a carn carnival diet or you're vegan or strictly into veg veg veggies and whatever. Um, is that the most detrimental thing you would say, this processed stuff that we sort of have to, well, not we consume, but yeah. is this all around us? I think it's, you know, I think, I think the two sides of one coin. I mean, I think if you are eating a diet that is high in, you know, this modern industrial processed, hyper-processed, ultra-processed food, which is devoid of, honestly, devoid of most nutrition, uh, tends to be probably many people highly inflammatory, uh, high in, often high in calorie, but low in nutrition, that's going to be a disservice to the body. And if you're eating that, then you're not eating the things you're designed to eat. And things you're designed to eat are foods that have been around for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. And so, you know, I mean, you, there, I think both of them are equally important. So eating a high quality diet is just as important as not eating a low quality diet. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Um, what, like, based on your experience, though, like, how, how do you think, what, what do you think the best way is to get people to change their eating habits? Like, you know, cutting down on these processed foods or, you know, uh, unnecessary carbs or sugars, you know, all this stuff, which we know is bad for you. What do you think is the best way? Like, I know because you're a doctor and you've had like, more experience, a lot more experience in this field, but do you have any major suggestions or things that you sort of tell people close to you, maybe ask you similar questions? Well, I mean, obviously I promote this carnivorous diet, um, you know, and I, I've seen the best success with that. Quite honestly, I think when you're getting off all this highly addictive, sugar rich foods that complete abstinence works the best. And so, you know, if, if you 
completely eliminate these foods from your life. Uh, you know, all sweeteners, all, you know, even all carbohydrates for a while. I think that works very, very rapidly uh, for getting people. It, it really has to do with a relationship with food, whether it's uh, an addiction to it. Um, you know, whether it's because the uh, marketing for it, whether it's because the food scientists engineer it to be highly hyperpalatable and addictive, um, all those things. I mean, we eat for the wrong reasons. We don't eat because we, we're, we need nourishment. We eat because we're bored, we're stressed, we're watching TV, um, you know, or any other number of reasons. You know, we had, we had some sort of event in our life we're going to make up for it or it's social or it's a time of day and we're not even hungry, but we eat anyway. I mean, these, these uh, you know, these companies that make these snack foods and these other kind of junk foods, just, they know that and they thrive on that. They, they thrive on your, you know, your, your need to do that. And so to get rid of it, you know, again, I, I've, as a physician, you know, I've never seen anything as powerful as, a, as an intervention as, as putting people on a meat-based diet. I mean, it just works for so many things. Uh, it really helps to get people off these food addictions. I mean, they're, you know, it's not a hundred percent perfect. I mean, there's people that still struggle, but I mean, compared to anything else I've seen in medicine, it's, it's extremely, extremely effective. And I think support also plays a role having a support system. And again, that's what we build at meetrx.com. Uh, a group of just people all like-minded that, that come together and support people and help them to do that. <clears throat> yes. Good point. Um, you know, like I've, I've heard people say when they've been on similar sort of, um, I'll call it intense diets where it's kind of, you know, you, you focus on one thing, whether it's carnivorous or vegan or this or that, where certain things, especially like, um, well, not vegan, but something like carbs or something can sort of derail some people and they start noticing um, maybe some different changes in their body or the way they're feeling. And they put it down to, all right, this is what I've eaten recently, which was not um, part of my original diet for the last few weeks, months, years, whatever. Um, how much of that is, again, like, is that based is that purely based on science or can a lot of it also be almost like a placebo effect? Like they know this is suddenly coming. So the mind maybe might think, I don't know, this is the reason why I'm feeling like this and that. Um, again, is any like real, is there hard science behind it or is it kind of, um, yeah, is it each, each their own, uh, you know, everyone, everyone's body reacts differently, I guess. Well, I mean, as far as, you know, have we done, randomized control trials on, on a carnivore diet versus another diet. Not yet. That's something I'm trying to fund right now. Uh, you know, we've been fundraising to do that. We've raised oh, $135,000 to that, that regard. I mean, there are, you know, there are some studies out there that are starting to look at this. Uh, there's a study out of uh, uh, University of California, Merced, looking at the motivations behind a carnivore diet, 170 people or so participated in that one. Harvard University's in the middle of writing up a study on 2000 people's doing a carnivore diet. So there is some science in there. There's some science back in the literature. There's case reports and case studies and that type of stuff. But I mean, honestly, you know, when we look at nutrition science in general, most of it is not particularly scientific. And I know it's called nutrition science, but most of the nutritional studies, particularly the epidemiologic studies are not particularly helpful. The things that inform our diet. And so it is often up to the person in the individual person to take stock of what's going on. You know, it's not a, in my view, a placebo effect when you take somebody who's on six or seven medications and now they're able to come off all of those medications. To me, that doesn't necessarily mean placebo effect. Some people would still argue placebo effect, but I think we're seeing 
real physiologic changes. I mean, we see people clearly see their hypertension, their blood pressure reduce. We see people clearly lose weight. I mean, losing weight is not a placebo effect. When you lose 50 pounds, that's not a placebo effect. Absolutely. We yeah. see people lose visceral fat. We see people uh, imp significantly improve their uh, blood glucose control. We see people with you know, autoimmune diseases, inflammatory markers all improve. So those things, you know, I, I don't really put those down to placebo effects. So we're seeing real objective, clinically objective, uh, you know, laboratory measurable changes that, that, that are going on. And so while I, I think those things are good and helpful, at the end of the day, it's, it's still, it still comes down to how do you feel? How do you function? Because you know, you can change your lab markers every day and you, if you, you may feel better or worse based on that and, and it may not go in the right direction. So even though we are seeing clinical improvements in lab markers mm -hmm. in, in what people would traditionally say are going in the right direction, more importantly, we're seeing people come off medications, become symptom-free, uh, get healthier and, and, you know, improve body composition, so on and so forth, improve performance, uh, you know, so that, I think that's the important part. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's good. Good to understand, actually. Um, so again, like being a doctor, I'm guessing you understand all the biggest um, risks, right, which are which have been sort of attributed to, uh, you know, a heavy meat meat diet, for example. Um, from from all of these, which have been spelled out for all the years and decades, whatever, how many of these can you clearly say based on your experience now uh, is purely myth mythology It's you know, it's not a real thing. Um, and which kind of things do you think, what, what do you think the reason is for, for people to be against something like this? When, like you said, in your experience, it does have so many, uh, clear benefits. It's not just like we talked about earlier, you know, placebo effect or this or that. Um, can we, can you sort of debunk some of these, uh, major obvious myths that people associate to heavy meat diet? Yeah, sure. So first of all, there are really no studies on heavy meat diets. I mean, what they call heavy meat diets, you know, they call the U S diet, a heavy meat diet when we eat. 75% of our food comes from plants. So in, in, in much of the, much of the uh, animal food is, is milk. So, mm -hmm. I mean, to say, to say the U S is on a heavy meat diet is, is ridiculous. I mean, we, we, we don't even study those populations. And so the closest thing we have to a large population would be places like Hong Kong, where they eat a pound and a half of meat a day. And they have the longest life expectancy in the world, by the way, wow. they have the highest IQ in the world too. So, I mean, to say that we even have data on heavy meat diets in any degree is, is, just, is just wrong thinking. Now, there are tremendous amounts of uh, nutritional ideology. There's a lot of belief that's wrapped up upon, uh, you know, the belief about, well, I don't want to harm animals, or we have these influences from the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which has infiltrated much of nutrition science. I mean, the U.S., sort of the, the, the U.S. Dietetics Association founded back in 1917 was founded in large part by Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so their thinking, their belief system has permeated nutrition, you know, ever since that time. You know, there's people that obviously in the plant-based community that wrap up ideology thinking that, you know, it's evil to eat animals and therefore meat must be bad for us. Um, we have some really really just poor, poorly done studies. I mean, these epidemiologic uh, studies where we look at people that eat meat versus people that don't eat as meat, eat as much meat. And we, we draw conclusions on that based on, you know, just really, really weak relative risk numbers. Um, you know, some more recent studies have come out that totally debunk 
basically all those things. I mean, the, the 2019 Nutrix six studies in animals are internal medicine, you're looking at red meat consumption, uh, looking at uh, the, the most thorough review ever done uh, and applying actual rigorous criteria to it, said there's no problem with red meat, doesn't cause heart disease, doesn't cause cancer. Study in the, American, in, in, in the Journal of American College of Cardiology just came out this year showing that saturated fat from red meat and other product does not cause heart disease. And so we see many, many of these things that are, are out there that, that just refute these beliefs. And, you know, the more important thing is if meat were so bad for us, why would it be that people that go on a diet where the only thing they eat meat get so damn healthy? I mean, across the board, time and time and time again, times thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It doesn't make any sense at all. If meat is inflammatory, why is everybody seeing significant drops in inflammatory markers when they go on an all-meat diet? If meat causes diabetes, why are so many people coming off their diabetes meds when they eat just a meat-based diet? You know, if meat causes obesity, why are so many people losing so much weight and getting lean and muscular on a meat-based diet? You know, if meat causes high, high blood pressure, why are so many people coming off their blood pressure meds when they eat a meat-based diet? If meat causes depression, why are so many people coming off their depression meds and, and losing lifelong, uh, you know, mental health disorders when they come mm. on a meat-based diet? I mean, it, it's just, you know, complete nonsense is what we have. I mean, we've been eating meat as human beings for roughly 3 million years. I mean, before we homo sapiens, when we were mm. homo, you know, homo habilis, homo erectus, we've been eating meat since humans have been on. This is why we evolved. And to suggest that it is a cause of disease is just, it doesn't even, it makes no sense. It's just silly. Hmm. That's good points you got there. Uh, so one one myth, I'm, well, I would I say it's a myth, but I wanted your sort of medical opinion on, um, I think, I don't think we mentioned that, but cholesterol. I think if you can go into a little bit of detail into that, because that's one thing that gets literally spun about that terminology so many, so many times. And it's always linked I think it's linked quite heavily to, um, especially red meat. Um, if you could just go a bit into that, that would be quite useful. Yeah, so dietary cholesterol, you know, the cholesterol you get from animal products, whether it's eggs, meat, uh, basically mm -hmm. has no relevance. I mean, even the US, U.S. guidelines in 2015 says it's, not a, it's no longer a nutrient of concern. Uh, so you can just throw out dietary cholesterol as a cause of any, any problem, particularly cardiovascular disease. Um, you know, the next thing would be saturated fat. Does saturated fat cause cardiovascular disease? Well, the answer is no. We already know that. There's, there's all, every single intervention trial where they try to link saturated fat to cardiovascular disease shows no evidence of, of saturated fat, including saturated fat coming from meat, causing cardiovascular disease. Now, can red meat or other animal products raise your serum cholesterol? In many cases, it doesn't. In some cases, it does. So the question is, does that elevation in cholesterol lead to cardiovascular disease? And that data is clearly not, you know, it's not clear. You know, it, it may be in the context, if you raise your cholesterol and you also have metabolic syndrome and you also have obesity and you also have high levels of inflammation, you also have uh, high blood pressure, then elevations in cholesterol may have a more impactful uh, infect, uh, impact on your, your risk. The, the, the interesting thing about that is when people go on a meat-based diet, 
those other markers tend to normalize. Their, their blood pressure normalizes, their inflammation normalizes, their glucose control normalizes, their triglycerides often fall. And so um, I think it is something that is more nuanced than, than what we're, we're seeing. You know, there's uh, studies that, uh, you know, hopefully and, and are being done right now to look at that. But I think that uh, elevation, you know, we know that elevated cholesterol after a certain age actually makes you live longer or it's associated with longer life, I should say. Uh, we know that people that have elevated cholesterol levels in many cases have less cancer. They have less, they have less all-cause mortality. They have less neurodegenerative diseases, particularly as they get to a certain age. And so, you know, to say that cholesterol is, is necessarily bad for us, even higher cholesterol, you know, isn't always true. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, so moving on, you know, um, so there's plenty of different uh, diets and regimes which have been out there for decades about trying to become healthier or put on muscle or lose fat or this and that. Um, I think one which is quite, well, it's been around for quite a while, but it's quite into the forefront right now is um, intermittent fasting, right? And I was sort of reading up on this recently and it was like, um, it shows how your body, you know, goes through the different spikes in insulin and then comes up to like ketosis. And then something called, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but auto, autophagy, autophagy or something like that. Um, but I just wanted to know, um, how does this sort of um, sort of regime or routine of doing things, how does that vary from a, um, a high sort of a carnivorous diet? Because I'm, I'm assuming there's some overlapping, especially with the uh, phases of ketosis, perhaps, and some, something like that. I don't know about this autophagy um, sort of system that you, your body reaches. Is there any sort of um, overlap? And if so, I don't know if you, could, if you can explain in a bit more detail about that, unless I've got my wires totally crossed. Yeah, so, uh, and I, I think autophagy is how many people would say that, but um, <laughs> that just refers to, say, the recycling of, of, you know, worn out parts, so to speak. So you sell things wear out, you just kind of recycle them, you break them down, put them back together again. And this happens periodically throughout the day, every day for all people. If you're constantly eating, it kind of sort of limits how much you can do that. Now, there's other things that drive autophagy, including exercise, uh, you know, fasting, intermittent fasting, infrequent meal patterns seem to be beneficial in that regard. So one of the things we see on a carnivorous diet is most people kind of naturally fall into this infrequent meal pattern where they might eat once or twice a day. That is probably in line naturally with how we kind of evolved. We would eat till full, you know, because we're eating a diet that is you know, higher in protein, higher in fats. We don't tend to run on as much glucose. We don't have the glucose surges, spikes, and crashes. So we're not hungry very often. And so we probably allow this autophagy process to occur kind of more naturally in that. So there's definitely an overlap in that. And I do agree, we're probably not designed to eat continuously like many of us do now, uh, you know, where they eat from sun up to sundown or even past, you know, until they go to bedtime from when they wake up, they have breakfast. And then a few hours later, they have a snack, and then they have a lunch, and then they have another snack, and then another snack, and then they have dinner, and then they have a snack before they go to bed. And so they're eating continuously for 16 hours a day. Uh, that's probably not how we're designed. And that, that probably impedes this autophagy process. Is ketosis beneficial? I mean, there's certainly people that would argue, yes. Can you get into ketosis on a carnivorous diet? Very, you know, many people do. 
Um, it's not a requirement, but uh, you know, there, there, there are some potential benefits depending on what you're treating. So there definitely is overlap with what you, what you mentioned. Mm. Yeah. Um, just going back on that point though, you know, like um, sort of the traditional bodybuilding I don't know, textbooks, websites, whatever you want to call it, they would say, you know, eat, eat frequent meals, but you know, smaller amounts and heavy in protein and this and that. So they would constantly, you know, you'd see bodybuilders constantly eating like, you know, in between the day and during work, uh, in between workouts and this and the other. Um, obviously, based on your experience, because you've been on both sides of the fence, if you like, um, how, how, how necessary is that? How necessary is that if you are looking to build a mass amount of uh, muscle? Do you, do you, can you get away with eating infrequently, like you said, as long as it's high, you know, which you will be in carnivorous diet? But, you know, is there, is there sort of anything you'd be skeptical about on, on the uh, more traditional uh, sort of, you know, advice that's given to bodybuilders. Yeah, I mean, I just had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Professor Don Lehman, who is one of the per world's premier researchers on that topic. I mean, he actually just basically sort of discovered the leucine threshold uh, with regard to muscle building. And so we know that we can trigger something called mTOR, which will, which will secondarily trigger muscle protein synthesis. And that can happen about every, about every four hours. And so, you know, if you do that with a stimulus of protein, particularly the leucine amino acid, you know, you can, you can trigger that muscle protein synthesis every four hours. So an argument can be made that we should be eating about every three to four hours with regard to maximizing our mTOR stimulation. We know that exercise will pro provide an independent stimulant, stimulatory effect on that and also drive muscle protein synthesis. What's unclear is because of, uh, there, there seems to be a diminishing return on that. So, you know, uh, when I just talked to him, he said there seems to be the, the breakfast stimulation of leucine and mTOR seems to be, you know, maybe a better one. And then, and then each subsequent one becomes less and less. And so it, 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 it has diminishing returns. So it, it's not clear on what the timing needs to be um, with regard to that. Um, having said that, you know, a lot of it comes down to caloric surplus as well. And so one of the things is many people find that they can just eat more calories by eating more frequently on a meal standpoint. And so, for instance, if you eat a carnivorous diet and you eat, you know, uh, 500 uh, grams of, of meat and, and six eggs and you're full and that keeps you full for eight hours, um, you might have found that if you ate half that, you might be able to eat a little bit more, uh, you know, more frequently and just kind of keep doing that. And you can eat, you can eat a bit more with that. So I think it's more to do with getting in a caloric surplus and you know how, how much satiety you have i mean ultimately the amount of protein you take in is going to have an impact you're going to need to build muscle optimally you know it's going to be somewhere you know maybe a uh two grams per kilogram somewhere in that range maybe slightly higher than that depending on who you talk to um the other thing is some of these studies have been done on most of these studies have been done actually on whey protein and the absorption characteristics of whey protein are such that it's very rapid acting within, within an hour. When you compare that to something like a steak, where it's going to take you several hours to, to start to see those amino acids incorporated in and brought up. So there's, there's differences about when, when the timing is. So the answer is, it's probably, it comes down to how much protein you're eating and, and what is your caloric intake overall throughout the day. And if, if it, if it's more beneficial for you to do that with small frequent meals, then that's the way you can do that. If your only goal is to build as much muscle, 
if you can do that in less frequent meals, you know, it, it, it's probably just as beneficial. There's probably not much difference, quite honestly. Mm, okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so one question I got, um, I wanted to ask you was, um, we talked earlier about the, you know, biological work, blood work, et cetera, um, which, you know, you might, might have been sort of uh, uh, looking into during this uh, carnivorous diet. Um, in terms of a physical standpoint, just obviously, you know, when you're training, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're training, when you're looking yourself in the mirror after a gym workout or, you know, playing sports or whatever, um, how significant has the changes been for you uh, pre four years ago and to, to this day? Has it been highly noticeable or is it kind of more intuitive stuff that you've picked up on? Because obviously everyone knows their own body, you know, differently. Uh, when I first went on a carnivore diet, you know, nearly four to eight years ago, and I was already on a ketogenic diet, and I wasn't eating junk food on a ketogenic diet. It was, it was, it was still meat, and it was fruits and vegetables, basically. Um, I saw significant improvements in my recovery. I saw significant improvements in my digestion. I saw significant improvements in decreasing inflammation, and I saw significant improvements in my strength. I mean, it was, it was, it was a clear difference for me, and it was going from uh, what other people would say was a fairly healthy, you know, no junk food diet that included meat plus, you know, other healthy, quote unquote, healthy plant foods to, to eliminate, eliminating them. I saw a, bit, a significant benefit. And so that was, uh, you know, I, I was able to, like I said, six months in, I was able to break three world records, you know, as a 50 plus year old guy on a concept two. And uh, my times were very much equivalent to what 20 year olds were doing, the 20 year old world records. So I was you know, being able to, to, to really uh, perform at an extremely high level. That is mad. You know, we haven't really touched, I know you touched upon it earlier, but can you, do you mind just sort of telling us and the listeners more about these world records? Cause I saw, I did read something about that and I was just fascinated. Like what, what are these world records that you, you've been, you've beaten and you're continuing to beat today? Like that's it's quite incredible. Well, I mean, the concept two world records were rolling. I mean, it was basically, I had set those records in three different distances, 100 meters, 500 meters, and then one minute for time, you know, for distance. Um, you know, like, for, for instance, the 500 meter world record, when I turned 50, it was one minute, 18.3 seconds or something like that. I beat that world record by over four seconds. I mean, a huge, wow. huge, I just destroyed the world record. Uh, and I did that over a period of time where I was just, you know, the first time, first day I beat it, it was like, I, I got it at 117. The next day I did it 116. And then I went down to the 115.5 and 115.4. And I, like 10 days in a row, I just kept doing it over and over and over and over and kept breaking the world record until I got it down to 114. Six or five, I believe at the time. And then, you know, same thing with some of these other records. And so I was just able to just perform at an extremely, extremely high level. And, uh, you know, this was something that, I won. I, I last year I won the world championships. Same sort of thing. Um, currently, I'm kind of pursuing some other things, but I mean, I, I've been seven years doing that, and so I'm kind of like switching, switching my priorities right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was able to, without any carbohydrates, in a in a, in a very highly glucose dependent um, event. Yep. I mean, this is clearly requires mm -hmm. glucose. Um, and, and the point is your body makes glucose, you know, even without carbs, your body makes glucose out of protein. It can make it out of fat. Uh, your liver, you know, can do something called gluconeogenesis, which creates, you know, glucose. So, so gluc you, yes, you need glucose. Your brain needs glucose. Certain tissues are absolutely dependent upon glucose, but you don't need to eat carbs to get them. And you don't need to 
have carbs to refill your glycogen stores. You know, these, these are things that, 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 uh, you know, people are hung up on, which, you know, this mm. is not, the, not, not the, the reality. So that kind of stuff you're saying the body will generate itself. There's nothing actually you need to do differently. Like if you went on a low to zero carb diet, you'd still be sufficient in all those, um, sort of parts. Well, it's going to depend on, you know, sufficient adaptation. You know, I was on a ketogenic low carb diet for several years before. I mean, so some people that go from a high carb diet as an athlete will struggle initially because they're, they're having a hard time switching energy systems and they're, they haven't ramped up their endogenous production, you know, to the degree that they're going to need to. So it, 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 there definitely is a transition period, but I mean, we've got, uh, there's, there's several top rugby players in the world that are now adopt fully, fully carnivorous diets. You know, one wow. guy named Sonny Bill Williams, yeah. who's a New Zealand all black, who you may be familiar with mm-hmm. is doing it. Some, there's several others. Uh, there's, NFL Super Bowl champions that are doing it. So we're seeing, you know, athletes at the highest of levels now adopt mm-hmm. this. And, and, and they're stating the same thing I'm stating. I feel great. My recovery's great. My performance is outstanding. And so um, clearly you can do it, or at least some people can do it. So that's, that's out there. Absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Um, so Dr. Baker, uh, I'm conscious of your time and um, you spent a lot of time talking to us about some very inter- interesting stuff. Um, so thanks very much for that. I just wanted to end with asking you, I guess, what you're currently up to, um, some of the projects and things you're involved in, and maybe if you want to tell anyone else where they can find out more about yourself and uh, some of these uh, yeah, initiatives. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about, you know, you, having people be able to utilize this diet without sort of any stigma. Um, I'd like to see physicians prescribe this to their patients, particularly for certain patients. I think it's particularly beneficial for those with autoimmune disease, with inflammatory disease, with gut diseases. It certainly helps with everything else that low-carbohydrate diets help with, with regard to things like diabetes and blood pressure and weight loss. It seems to help with mental health in particular. So I'd like to see that be, you know, that, that be something that more physicians utilize. To that end, I am, you know, trying to get a clinical trial done, uh, funding that. We're look, talking to a lot of researchers. We've got a fundraiser on GoFundMe. Uh, you know, and like I said, we continue to raise money with that. Um, this MeetRx community, which is just thriving, uh, it is a wonderful place for people that want to fix these health issues and want to try it with an animal-based diet. And we have this hugely supportive community with uh, meetings every day. We have coaching staff. That will help people. We are, you know, about to roll out some data collection tools to help people get feedback and, and try, try to further refine what we're doing. So we're growing as a company, and uh, uh, we're, we're, you know, making a big difference. And we look forward for people coming there and getting support. You, you know, like I said, we can join. You can join us there for thirty days for free at meterx.com. My social media, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time on social media. I understand that's that's how you get the message out there. So you have to utilize that tool. And so Absolutely. Instagram, I'm Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, one nine six seven. So Sean Baker, 1967 on Twitter. I'm S Baker MD. Um, I've got a Facebook uh, group called the world carnivore tribe, which has about 50,000 members. And then I've got my YouTube channel. So these are the things that, that I spend some of my time on. I'm constantly looking at the research, you know, you know, constantly trying to um you know increase my knowledge you know i've got a podcast a meter x podcast which is one of the top 10 nutrition podcasts in the world nice. uh, you know, 
and so we're we're reaching we're we're making strides and we're reaching more and more people and more and more people are coming to give this a try and uh i think it's not that you have to do a meat-based diet the rest of your life but i think it's something if you're struggling with something it's worth doing for three to six months and just see if you can fix some of these issues which may revolve around food addiction they may revolve around you know health issues that, that clearly this seems to help and be benefit and we we, we certainly like I said, I think support is beneficial too, because a lot of people won't get a lot of support, whether it's from their family members or friends, their physicians. And so that's another reason this Meet Our X community has been so helpful. So hopefully people will check that out. Absolutely. Yeah, very well said. Um, yeah, we'll post some of those social medias and the websites on our episode description as well. But um, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Baker. Honestly, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Um, yeah. My, my pleasure too. Thanks for having me on and hopefully this, uh, you know, reaches some people and uh, we can have an impact. All right. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right, listeners. Thanks so much. Uh, stay safe.